And this is Zachariah's song. And that is going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. And there's a lot of fruit in this scripture, a lot of fruit. We could spend a whole year in it, basically. But what we're going to do for today's purpose is we're going to take just a, a snippet of it and focus on that, and that is freedom. So everyone repeat after me, freedom. 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 That is going to be the focus of this, that part of Zechariah's song today. So let's take a trip back in time. Jesus had not yet come in the flesh. John the Baptist had not yet blazed the trail, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the Jews of that time were still under the ceremonial laws. The ones that were given to them to give them an understanding that they needed to be in a right standing with God, because God would say, I'm going to come amongst you and be your God, and you will be my people. But in order for that to occur, you need to be in a right standing with me, for you will have a sin nature, and that needs to be atoned for. So they had these ceremonial laws of using an unblemished animal, where a high priest would first have a burnt offering for himself, to make sure he was in a right standing with God and for his family. And then he would go on behalf of the people in the most holy of holy places in the temple. And then he would give an offering up for the people. And if he wasn't in right standing, they had to tie a rope around him. So if he died, they'd pull him out. So part of the ceremonial laws, it would occur morning and evening. There would be these sacrifices. The great altar located outside the front doors of the temple was prepared for the sacrifice of a lamb. A priest chosen by a lot, that means the casting of numbers, they would choose, hey, which one is going to do this, would have the honor of entering the temple to burn incense. The burning of the incense was symbolic of the prayer of the people rising up to God. The offering of incense had to take place after the sacrifice. Because only after the atonement could communion with God take place. So they would have the sacrifice and of the animal. And then that's those same coals that were used to burn that would still be used for the incense. It's pretty interesting. The same fire used for the animal sacrifice is the same fire they would use for the incense. In Christ Jesus, he's the one God in which... He's our sacrifice, and then through him, our prayers are offered up. See that kind of similarity in there? So, and before Zechariah's song, this is what was happening in the day of Zechariah. He was of the priesthood, and his particular division was on the job for this particular time. And they cast a lot. And he was chosen to go in and burn the incense. And what would typically happen is, after the incense was burned, the priest would come out and give a benediction, sort of praise on to God. And then the choir would sing a song. And the trumpets would sound. 
and all the people would fall down and worship. So Zechariah is in there burning the incense, and the people are waiting, bated breath. He's going to come out and do the benediction. And they wait. He doesn't come out right away. What's going on? Well, while Zechariah was in there, an angel, the angel Gabriel, came to him and said, Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayers, and you and your wife Elizabeth will conceive a child, and you will call him John. And he will turn many of people's hearts to the Lord. He will turn fathers to children. He will turn many to the wisdom of the Lord. And Zechariah said, I'm of old age, of old age. How's this going to happen? And Gabriel said, tongue in cheek, because I am in the Lord. I am his representation. This will happen. And because you did not believe, something the Lord chose to cause this out. He did not believe. He struck him mute. And he was not going to be able to speak until the time that the baby arrived. A side note about we can believe in God, have our moments of doubt, and the Lord, out of his love, may discipline us. That's a very important thing. We often think of love as something where we just go along little birdie and we smile at each other, but real love for someone in God's economy is there's a discipline onto God. Everything's about God. Our freedom is about God, not about what we do, but what God tells us to do. And so there's a, there's a disciplining here for Zechariah. And he was mute accordingly. He came out, and the people waiting, and he's trying to tell them what's going on. And they realize that he saw a vision of some type. Fast forward, nine months later, the child was born. They're in the eighth day, getting ready to circumcise the child and deciding, hey, what is the child's name? And typically, they would name him after the father. It's a tradition. And the wife said, no, we will call him John. And they looked over at him and said, but there is no one in the name, that name. And then he asked for a tablet. He wrote on there, he will be called John. And immediately, Zechariah got his voice back. And he immediately began praising the Lord. And this is Zechariah's song, filled by the Holy Spirit. And a quick side note. When the Lord disciplines us, the response is not, why? The response is, he's doing a work in us, and we come out praising him all the more because we know that he does it out of love for us to draw us closer to him, to see truth and not glorify ourselves. Amen? And that's what you see, a great example of Zechariah. He didn't go back and say, hey, listen, can you believe what he did to me? It was not, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, bless him. So, there's three areas we're going to look at today in God's freedom, in the freedom that Zechariah is singing about. 
three areas. I want you to repeat after me. One is God's provision, God's mercy, God's light. Again, we are focusing on an aspect of this. There's so much fruit, but God's freedom just stands out strongly in this. So let's dive in. God's provision is going to be basically 68 through 69, verses 68 through 69, and God's mercy will be 70 to 75, and God's light will be 76 through 79. So let's dive in. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. What is going on here? Well, in God's provision, he provided two things that we can look at. The what and the how. The what and the how. What he did and how he did it. This is extremely important for us because this is the crust and the foundation of how we receive what we receive from God. First part, he visited and redeemed us. That is huge. It's so easy to overlook that. God literally visited and redeemed us. The Latin root of visit is visito, points to behold or to survey. You look at survey, it's defined as to look carefully and thoroughly. God came down and carefully and thoroughly did his work. But most importantly, it's not like he came down and said, oh, I didn't know all this was going on. (laughs) I didn't realize it was that bad. It's his omniscient, knowing all things that is hugely important for us. The fact that he knows every word that we're going to say before we even know it. Tells in the book of Psalm, before the words even come to your tongue, God knows it. Think about that. For several billion people, before the words even come to their tongue and they understand it, God knows what the words are. Does that not speak of tremendous ultimate power? He knows every single hair on our head. Some of us are just trying to hang on to the few hairs we have left. But I don't know every single hair on my head. Every single hair on the head of several billion people, does that not scream ultimate power? How about this? The psalmist say, Lord, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to depths, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there. He's in all places as he chooses. Does that not speak of ultimate power? Why is this so important? Because ultimately, in his sovereignty, that means that the power, the wisdom, the authority, that there's no one that God is subject to. He crafted a plan in advance before the foundations of the world for a people like us. That is hugely important. An ultimate power for God crafted a plan to save a people that he does not need. I always loved, when I was a kid, I used to love watching uh, Clash of the Titans. 
It's a good movie. And this is way back in the day, back in the 80s. And I go back and look at it now. I'm like, my goodness, that was horrible. But they had a new version that came out about 15, 20 years ago, I think. It might have been less than that. In this version, Zeus had created the people, and he needed the people to actually worship him in order for him to keep his strength. If they turned away from him, he became weak and turned to a pillar of dust. That's the best we can do. It is hard for us to comprehend that an almighty God is sovereign, exists independent of us, has always existed, spoke everything in existence, and doesn't need us. But an ultimate powerful God shows tremendous love for us. The fact that he doesn't need us, and yet he crafted a plan for us. If we go back to the book, we go back to Genesis. He molded us with his own bare hands. And he breathed a life into us. That's a personal care from an ultimate powerful God who doesn't need us. Then because of sin, we became an enemy of his. Well, what does that mean? Well, Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created us to glorify him. That means in all things we do, when you glorify something, in all things you do, you exhibit that which you glorify. So in all things, we get up, we lay down, we talk, we go about our way, we are to glorify God. When we're not doing that, we're in sin. So the moment Adam and Eve went from being a blameless state before God and he walked amongst them, and then they decided on their own that they wanted wisdom apart from him to be like God, that cast all of mankind and all of creation into darkness. Then in Zechariah's song, he says, this visitation of God is through this horn of salvation. What is that? In Psalm 92, the psalmist writes, You have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. The exalted horn comes from, an, it's like an image of a bull lifting up its horns after winning a battle. The bull is standing strong, the horn's up. The raised horn is like a, Symbolic of victory, especially of being like rescued from oppression. In Psalms 89:24, my faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. Or in Psalm 112:9, he has given freely to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. When God exalts the horn of someone, he is bringing victory to the oppressed. In 1 Samuel 2.1, I think we remember this for, for those who remember this verse, we find Hannah rejoicing in the song after the birth of her son Samuel. After years of infertility, Hannah rejoices because in the Lord her horn is lifted high. And then in 1 Samuel 2 verse 10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. The great thing about this is that the Lord horn, being Jesus Christ, 
is exalted, not for the oppressed, but for the oppressors, which is us. He exalted Christ to take on our sins, and we would take on his righteousness. And we literally take on the righteousness of Christ, and then that, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that would do a work in us to transform us more into Christ-likeness. So in this case, the horn of salvation wasn't for an oppressed people. It's for people who are oppressors, ones who are in dark. You understand what I mean by that? You can be in a position of being oppressed by something or some other group and still be in sin to your heavenly father. Being at the hand of someone else does not make you innocent. In that particular scenario of how someone is oppressing you, there may be innocence, but there's not innocence in you. So if you died and did not repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and neither did your oppressor, you guys can have seats right next to each other in hell. That is huge. We have freedom through his eternal provision, the ultimate horn that is Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate freedom. This is what Zechariah is singing about. Let me ask you, is that you? Do you have freedom in Christ? I hear a lot of people say, yes, I believe in Christ. Christ says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will do the works that I do. So, a litmus test for whether we're in Christ or not is our willingness by the work of his spirit to submit to him. And then the actions in our everyday being looks more Christ-like in increasing fashion. And if it does not, then you may want to question what you really have in Christ or don't. If we say we have freedom in Christ, then we should be able to see. And this is something that, that we always say, right? As a side note. If we say we have Christ, then we can look at the scriptures and we can see similarities. That's what it comes down to. That's why we have the Bible. We understand what happened to man and what God's plan is. And the work he's doing in us, therefore, we go back to that same Bible to have an understanding of, is my walk look like this, Lord? There's a difference between the walk of what you do on your own and a walk by the indwelling Holy Spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have freedom in God's provision. And we also have freedom in God's mercy, verses 70 through 75. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that we swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all 
the days. Freedom in God's mercy. And when I'm talking about freedom in God's mercy, let's define mercy very quickly. Like a leniency or compassion to an offender, that which we do not deserve. The mercy of God on a people who deserve nothing. We have freedom in the mercy of God because three areas we can look at. One, he promised, he delivered, and he removed fear. Repeat after me. He promised, he delivered, and he removed fear. And these are the areas we will focus on in verses 70 through 75. In the Old Testament, God made many promises about the Savior, Jesus Christ. One, he'd be a virgin, he'd be virgin born and called Emmanuel, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah. The prophecies noted that he would be from the lineage of David in 2 Samuel. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Or in Jeremiah 23, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. Or we know about also his power in Isaiah. He'll be a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Other prophecies mention a herald to prepare the world for Jesus. Like in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That is huge, because Zechariah is literally singing about his own son. That's pretty powerful. It's one thing to have the gift of life and have the fruit of the womb and have a child. When we, we got our son Levi, it was a great celebration to see all that occurred. And, and then the Lord in his timing and his will delivered us a son according to his perfect ultimate time. But to also add to that, that the last of the old prophets is what he's referred to, would be your actual son who will pave the way for the king of kings. There's another great reason for him to be rejoicing and singing this song, would you not say? Promise fulfilled right before his very eyes. So he's singing about what was promised, what was delivered, and what will be to come. And right now, in front of his very eyes, a, promise, a prophecy is being delivered. His son is born, and he will pave the way. That is huge. And the question becomes, what should be our response after that? I know one of the things we talked about, I said last time, is that we don't want to go back and continually do the same old thing over and over again. We, we wrestle with God, and we want him to deliver something to us, and he delivers something to us, and then we're happy, and then we go right back to the same thing again. We want to, even a fourth of an inch, move that much closer to him, that much closer to him, so then whatever we had anxiety about, whatever we dealt with before, the next time around, it won't be perfect, but it's just a little bit better than what it is before. Because it's not just the, we ask and he's delivered like a glorified slot machine. We ask, he delivers, we grow closer to him, in boldness, confidence, and understanding this ultimate God loves me and I bear his image. 
We can go to other passages, like Psalm 105, 8 through 11. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. He promised he delivered. And there is still future deliverance coming on prophecies he told. So then Zechariah sings also about the removal of fear. This is huge because there's two types of fear we can, we can talk about. There's fear on the Lord of uh, reverence, and then there's the fear we have. And in Genesis when Adam and Eve walked blamelessly before God, they had no fear. They were submitting to God's word. They were blameless in his eyes. He walked amongst them. Everything was great, and they had freedom. Remember, freedom is not freedom to do what we want, but only what God says. So when he frees us through Jesus Christ, it's not free to just go and sin all the more. Now you turn to God and you're restored back to where you were originally intended to be, in a blameless state to live eternally with an almighty God to worship and serve him and submit to his commands. And in there you find joy and you find freedom. That's real freedom onto God. So as long as they had no sin... They sensed no need for any covering. I mean, they were naked. They didn't even think about it. That shows you how when you focus on God, nothing else matters. There was no judgment or scrutiny for them. Now that they had sinned, they were keenly aware they had guilt and shame. That's the fear that I'm talking about. The fear that has guilt and shame wrapped around it. Where you know you've done wrong. And immediately, what do you do? Do you go to God? Is that what they did? No. <laughs> they actually tried to cover it up themselves. This is pretty good. As one commentator said, they tried to cover up their guilt and shame with the product of their own efforts. This was remarkable, the first attempt at works-based salvation. Their first attempt at works-based salvation. What is that? When you try to Bring salvation to yourself on your own according to your own will and what your own standards are against God. I'm going to do it on my own. This was the first attempt. Did they go to God? No, they hid. They were scared because they knew they had done wrong. Then they go cover themselves up out of shame and guilt. Did they go to God and did they repent? They actually all the more just sinned all the more. And that says a lot for us as well. In our fear, there is shame and guilt. I don't know about you, I have shame and guilt. Past deeds done, thoughts, things that just, when you lay it up against Scripture, you say, my goodness, do I really know this God? But thank God, 
It's not dependent upon us or anything we do. It's dependent upon the love and ultimate powerful God who sent his son Jesus. There is much to sing about in that. Freedom to follow God and be restored in our rightful place according to what God wants. Is that you? I asked that before. I'm going to ask it again. Is that you? Now, we can claim the name of, of Christ, and there really may be Christ there. But since we're a work in progress, there are many pockets in our lives that still have darkness that he is working out. So what do you do with them when it's revealed to you? Do you try to go and work it out on your own? Or do you run to the Lord on your knees and repent and ask him to do a work and say, I believe, but help my unbelief in this area where I do not trust you, Lord. Do a work in my heart by your spirit and remove this from me. Or maybe this is the first time you've even heard of this and go, what's going on here? We'd love to speak to you afterwards about it, but if you have a weight on your heart and you're not here by chance, because the Lord says the lots are cast in his lap, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. There's a point in time for everything. The Lord is a part of everything. Then maybe this is the day for repentance and faith in this mighty God, Jesus Christ, and start eternity now with him. And you, if you'd love to know more about that, we'd love to speak to you afterwards about that. And if you claim the name of Jesus and want to know more about it, we'd love to speak to you about it afterwards as well, too. You can come to the throne of Jesus in repentance. So let me tell you, the freedom in God's mercy that we're talking about in reference to fear is a fear in reverence and awe of God. This is fearing God means having reverence for him that greatly impacts the way we live. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his, dis his discipline, and worshiping him, worshiping him in awe. In other words, we have a fear that says, I know this God is ultimate power. I know that I deserve nothing. I know that he gave this to me out of his love. I know he does not need me. I fear disappointing God. I fear sinning against him because he's already done and taken care of that on the cross. And I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. That's a healthy fear, a fear to disappoint an ultimate, all-powerful God who you bear image of. A holy God in his mercy delivers on his holy promises. And that deserves a holy response, which brings us right back to why Zechariah is singing this song. There is no doubt he got his voice back, and it's just a firmness on to praise the Lord. This God brings freedom. Freedom to follow him. 
freedom in provision, freedom in mercy, and freedom in light. Our last piece, 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's two things we just will pay closer attention to in God's freedom in the light that he provides. One is the knowledge of salvation and a guide to our feet. Repeat after me. The knowledge of salvation. Well, that sounds pretty good. Let's try this again. The knowledge of salvation and a guide to our feet. Those are some of the areas we'll pay attention to. In John 9, 5, Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. In John 12, Jesus said, I have come into the world to be its light, so no one who believes in me will stay in darkness. You see, when Adam and Eve, again, it's back to there, because that's where it all starts, and we continue off that path, or we're on to God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were immediately in darkness and lost. Sin equals darkness, which equals self-glorification, which equals separation from God. That's what it comes down to. We self-glorify. We tell ourselves, God is okay with it because there aren't lightning bolts flying out of the sky. Imagine if there was, people would be ducking under cars and going, okay, Lord, okay. But because that, and he has patience in that and uses the things of the world as he chooses to grow and stretch us, we take advantage of it in ungodly ways at times. Assuming that what we do is okay with him without going to him and verifying that it is okay. I don't know about you, I go about my business every single day and I go, oh, what does the Lord think about that? So long as you have light, as long as you have life, you have opportunity to repent and believe onto Jesus. There's one piece I, I want to talk about, and I would encourage anyone to go back and read it. That's Luke 16, 24 through 31. And I paused for a second because I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. I love this part because it hit my heart greatly to understand about, hey, listen, when you die, your spirit either goes to be with God or it goes to hell. And in this, this is Lazarus and the rich man. And it wasn't because he was rich, but it's how he got everything and his status of his heart. It was against God. And Lazarus was on, was on the corners in front of his palace, in front of the rich man's palace pretty much. And the dogs would lick his wounds. And Lazarus would go about his business. And everyone probably worshipped Lazarus because he was a high-standing, wealthy guy. I'm Not Lazarus, the rich man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Worship the rich man. Forget that part. <laughs> they both die. Lazarus is in heaven. He's walking with Abraham. The rich man is in hell. He looks across this chasm and says, Ooh, can you have Brother Lazarus just dip his finger in some water and put it across here? Because I am in anguish in these 
flames. There's a real hell and there's real suffering. Make no mistake about the things that are unseen. Because once you see it, you won't be able to get out of it. And then he says, well, can you send him back to speak to my family? He goes, well, he has, they, have the, they have Moses and the prophets. He said, but sending him back from the dead, that will surely cause him to repent. And Abraham said, no, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to the one who comes back from the dead. End of story. Once you die, there is no more opportunity to have this freedom. It's over. So long as you have life, you have what is called the time of favor unto the Lord. That is an opportunity of what he's laid upon you that you don't deserve, to repent of your sins and to have a heart renewed and to have eternity with him. The moment you die, that favor's gone. So it's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It is now. None of us know what's going to happen when you step outside of here or what's going to happen while you're in here. The time is now. The moment you die, that favor is gone. So Zachariah sings about God's freedom in his provision, in his mercy, and his light. That tells me I'm right on time here. <laughs> Not that watch like you. <laughs> Simple applications here. I got four, okay? Four. You've probably heard them before, but we can't hear them enough. One, pray. Why is that important? It's acknowledgement that everything belongs to God and that he is the creator of everything and that he's in between the lines and everything and we are pleading our case that he would help us. Pray. Observe. Observe the scriptures. What is the context? What's happening in it? We have so much at our disposal. We're without excuse in this country. Pray, observe interpret. What do I mean by interpret? What does the author of this particular passage mean? So then we do the work of looking at corresponding verses that link to it that gives us an understanding of the depth of what's being said. Interpret. Then apply. You go and you live it out. Why is this so important? Because often if I ask someone about what their, what their Bible studies habit are like, it's pretty lukewarm on average. We can't just read a verse and expect that through osmosis things are just going to happen. There is some work on this side for me, for all of us. Hey, I get it. Life is, can be rough. Some of us got tons of kids. They got one kid, no kids, and you feel like the world is crowding in on you. Yes, I get that. But... There is nowhere in the scriptures where God gives us an excuse to not approach his throne and study his word. So we have to hang on to that truth that surely God knows what's happening in our lives and he will provide the energy and strength to carry it out. 
This is the whole, then, used rightly, I can do all things unto God who empowers and strengthens me, unto the things he commands you to. Pray, observe, interpret, apply. Say after me. Pray, observe, interpret, apply. Then we will be built up and not thrown back and forth according to whatever wind of doctrine. If someone says Jesus, you say, that sounds good. Because you pray, observe, interpret, and apply, now you're being built up more, and you have an understanding that doesn't sound good. That's not what it says in the Scriptures. We want to be firm, not floating back and forth like a kite according to the wind. So then whether it be for the first time or a continuation of a Christ-centered walk, you will then experience the freedoms in Zechariah's song in provision, mercy, and light. Let's pray.